October 2019 and I am Brother Joseph once again welcoming you back to another episode of Fairies or Faith. To begin with, let me start by saying I have faith in and reserve all my love for my father. And out of fear, I really need to know who my father is through recognition. Through recognition. It is a subject far too serious with far too great a commitment for me to make a mistake. You see, I might just find myself shaking hands with that other person. Do you know of whom I speak? And I do not really like him very much. Even though he has a tendency to sometimes look just like me. There are so many deities in this world, too numerous to mention. I believe we all know this. There are many gods, all booted and suited in the fashion of their location. Each god to his own people, their idiosyncrasies and their ideologies. That may sound comical to some, but it is true. It is very true. And what is more, it works. When someone with a Muslim persuasion has a vision of his or her prophet, it is Muhammad. For the Hindu, it's the Guru Nana. For the Christian, it is Jesus the Christ, and so on. All these different prophets answer their prayers, even when they war and murder each other in the name of their God. All of their gods has promised them a place by their side in death, a gift for their struggle in life on his behalf. Now, intimately knowing humankind as I do, it's relatively easy for one to deduce wherever these gods abide must surely be a very sparsely populated place. However, this is not the case. No matter whom you pray to, as long as it is fervent and from your spirit, that thing within you, the essence of your existence, the Father will respond. There is only one Father, a Father who presents itself to you in whatever persona you expect, so that in recognition of the messenger, you will have faith in the message. We have created our God, but our Father in the heavens will never deny us. We are a part of the essence and the fabric of creation, and it will never deny its children. The story I am about to tell you is one of a man who fought and died for this belief, and for his people. Yeshua, the son of Mary and adopted son of Joseph, a Nubian Jew better known as Jesus the Christ, grew up in Nazareth, a town 60 miles north of Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. Because of his lineage, he had many enemies even before his conception but survived for 33 years to become the most prolific, spoken about, and misunderstood figure the world has ever known. Every nation and in every race, there are groups who identify themselves as being from the lineage and race of Yeshua, and depicts him in likenesses of themselves. A descendant of Kemet, Egypt, his father before him, a priest and a teacher in the beliefs and traditions of the old world lived in Galilee. Villages strategically developed in an area where the landscape provided good defences against their enemies, 
with mountains to the rear and the ocean to the front. These villages developed in the course of their migration from Kemet, described as the Exodus, which was not a case of trotting through the desert with anyone resembling Charlton Heston, but simply a migration over a very long period of time. Yeshua's father lived in a village in Galilee, an area known to their enemies as a place where the population shunned new doctrines and beliefs. They were devout spiritualists who fiercely protected their old beliefs in the father of creation. They were Nubian people. We prayed at night and named no father Amun before all people began giving praises to the rays of the sun. We were at the mercy of an intruder we did not understand. We became fascinated with the power of their gods, and those among us with influence and wealth strove to be as they. Others prostituted themselves, becoming thieves and liars, taking on the mantles of envy and deception in search of wealth and acceptance by them. The soldiers of the Pharisee constantly raided all villages, and when caught, they executed all priests, priestesses, and anyone of influence. In years to come, Saul of Tarsus would become a name synonymous with the persecution of all people. Yeshua's father was arrested and executed on such a raid. He was especially powerful and knowledgeable as a priest the most highly respected for his wisdom, and was able to do great things. He was able to heal the sick without touching and answer all needs without the need to ask. He was truly at one with creation and revered as a favored son of our father. He had so much influence that those closest to him and knew he had left behind a widow with expectant child began to prophesy his offspring would be the true son of creation and given birth to continue his work. On hearing of the expectant child, the Pharisee enlisted soldiers of the bloodthirsty Herod to make examples and seek out the child. Mary Yeshua's mother had taken refuge in the house of Lazarus in the village of Magdalene, where her deliverer came. He was Joseph, an educated and wealthy young man out of Jerusalem, a close friend of Lazarus's family and a frequent visitor to Galilee. Joseph was from a wealthy family with very influential connections. He was an upwardly mobile young Nubian with rebellious beliefs in the old ways and considered foolhardy by his family for his constant visits to the slums of Galilee. A short while after meeting Mary, Joseph persuaded her into marriage and returned to Jerusalem, where he hid her in plain sight, to ensure her safety. This is the beginning in the tragic story of Yeshua, the Nubian prophet. Rumors grew. The search for the child continued, and as time passed, the Sanhedrin began looking for an unmarried woman with newborn child. Joseph took his family and relocated 90 miles away in Bethlehem, in a Nubian district. He could quite easily afford a place at an inn, but needing to avoid recognition, they took refuge in the home of a follower of the faith, sleeping on a bed of straw amongst their caravan mule and it is where the child was born. He did everything to protect them. When the child's enemies grew close, 
he moved his family to Egypt. Here they were able to disappear amongst the multitudes of Nubians. After three years, he relocated his family to Nazareth and began business there as a carpenter. He was a man born in privilege and known by the priests of the temple, not least because of his skills as a carpenter. They took to Yeshua and began to teach him their faith. But he questioned everything, until the priests grew to dislike him. Yet he would continue to question and interrogate them on the things taught. They were contradicting the things he had seen and heard. They too saw him as arrogant, a know-it-all young man. Their dislike for him also affected Joseph. By this time, Joseph and Mary had five more children, and he feared his business would fail as influential colleagues began to draw away from him. He also feared for Yeshua's safety, but as the child became a man, he could not control his enthusiasm and zeal for his calling. Joseph began to see him as rebellious and without gratitude. Yeshua, however, did understand the effect his presence was having on his father, and he moved away to a less affluent part of the city, where he joined the followers of John the Baptist Zacharias' teachings. Their meetings had to be held at night and in great secrecy, but Yeshua determined that although at night we meet the Father, those he met in the light of day needed his help. He would teach that way during the day. Moreover, wherever there was a gathering, he was a carpenter and a physically fit and strong young man, but he also shone with a caring, welcoming spiritual warmth from inside. It surrounded him as a shield of attraction. He quickly developed a reputation for his wisdom and compassion, but the more influential areas found his teachings far too provocative, and he was stoned away on many occasions. Yeshua became troubled and in pain. He withdrew into himself, spending many nights in solitude, praying and in counsel with our Father, before quietly leaving the city. There followed a purging of our brethren, in which many of us were killed and John Zacharias was taken. Yeshua established a new life in Galilee, where he observed the fullness in the true suffering of his people, seeking solace in the wisdom and the company of others, such as Simon Peter and his brothers, who were enthralled with his wisdom. He also meets Mary of Magdalene, the youngest sister of Lazarus, who eventually becomes his spiritual partner. I say spiritual partner because they were never married through the rituals of man. At the insistence of his disciples, who were curious to know more of their spiritually enlightened priest's background, Yeshua returns home to attend a wedding and angers his father's friends once more by presenting them water instead of wine. Joseph expressed his displeasure to Mary, who stood in defense of her son. This angered him even more, and he left the household. On returning to Galilee, Yeshua's following grew, and throughout the region word was spreading of his great deeds, not least his ability to turn water into wine and make the blind see. 
a turn of phrase used in mock reference of his ability to enlighten an audience so they may see. They also mocked him as the new Messiah, the Christos. The Sanhedrin knew him as the sought-after child, the promised deliverer of all people, the son of creation, and he became a man sought after by the army. There was thirty pieces of silver on his head, and we feared for his life. Many offered him sanctuary, but Yeshua only grew stronger and with more conviction. He continued to teach, quite often narrowly missed by soldiers seeking him out. He showed no fear and knew the Father was with him. He stayed in Galilee for a while before going to the aid of Mary's brother Lazarus in Bethany, accompanied by his disciples who also knew Lazarus. The following day, the Passover, he knew there would be fewer soldiers in pursuit of him, and so he chose that time to make a stand. He rode through the arched gateway of the city on a mule, as was foretold God would return. He had not seen any soldiers or anything unusual, except a small crowd, mockingly laying palms before his mule. There were many Nubians among them, nonetheless. He knew a time of decision had arrived. Filled with a fury, not least at the Nubians who mocked him, he stormed into their temple and declared war, attacking the moneylenders and market traders who scattered and ran from the giant of a man. Yet by the approach of dusk, all was quiet. But the specter of death and the smell of blood still hung over him. He had felt it all day, and so had prepared for it to be on his terms. Mary of Magdalene, with his child, was spirited away before his death. He knew he might die. He did not want Mary to see this, knowing his death would be a prelude to unrest. So, wanting to protect his beloved and his child, he had arranged for their relocation. His father also died at this point in his life, and his mother remarried to protect him. He sent his trusted brother Judah to arrange a meeting, and he waited. This is not the end, and it is not one of those stories told. This is my history. The history of the Nubian prophet, my brother, Yeshua. You're probably wondering why this podcast has been all about this man, Yeshua. Where does Jesus fit into all this? So let us talk a little now about the Roman Emperor Constantine and the Greeks. I will make it short. The Romans had a problem to solve. Theirs was a prosperous empire born out of spilling of blood, nations conquered at the point of a sword and enslavement. In addition, when you live in prosperity from battles fought and won with the blessings and with the aid of your God, can you convince those of your nation, of your empire, that God no longer exists and live? The Roman war machine, demons of death, 
made a huge mistake interfering with the progression of Northeast Africa. They grew tired after disturbances following the death of Yeshua and destroyed the Pharisee temple. In addition, they took one million into European slavery, leaving two million dead. In so doing, they infested their nation with the followers of our moon, the creation. A reawakening that had grown greatly after Yeshua's execution. The infection grew within the population, and in particular the young, threatening to destabilize the bloodthirsty empire of Rome. All manner of atrocities perpetrated against us, and through fear of death and death itself the movement disintegrated, but strength in the power of this belief had been realized. It needed legitimacy if it was to be utilized and the Roman Empire saved. In 329 after Yeshua, Emperor Constantine gathered his scholars and those of Greece, and together with Nubians of Egyptian origin, they constructed a new ideology from our beliefs, one more acceptable for an Aryan. They constructed a blonde-haired person with blue eyes. The Nubian who said we are all sons of creation was replaced with Jesus the son of Jupiter and Zeus, and the only son of God, whom you should follow as you wait for redemption from his father. In heaven, Europe fully utilized the power of their new God in their empires. They spread it to every corner of the globe, in particular those corners occupied by Nubians. Let us not forget it is a Nubian ideology one discarded and forgotten. And the texts, written within the confines of caves in the desert, where all priests sought refuge from persecution whilst mapping out the history and the future of the Nubian race for our protection. The remains of the Roman destroyed temple is now a wailing wall, a self-imposed physical pain of regret, that until today they call a place of prayer. Believe you me, it really is a wailing wall. A wall soiled with the tears of regret. The joke of this situation is that amongst those who pray, only those who have studied and are knowledgeable really understand what they are actually doing. However, the truth will set them free. I know this has been quite a long podcast, but I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed sharing it with you. In conclusion, you may not believe it, but think carefully before you erase it completely from your thoughts. The actions of humankind has never changed from the beginning of time. It just regurgitates itself over and over again, clothed in different raiments, and for the lost children of Kemet, the children of creation, the results have always been the same. Tragic. Until next time, I'm Brother Joseph saying, thank you for listening.